Welcome. I am the woman who rubs the mountain, and this is a gathering place for stories of ecological embodiment. My other name is Kendra Ward. Most of my life has been devoted to the practice of acupuncture and its nature-based value system. It's easy memory that we are soil, fire, wind, water, and spark in human form. Through my teaching, writing, and healing work, I support people who want to remember themselves at home on this earth, at home with the land where they live, at home within their bodies, at home within their very essence. In addition to my in-person work as an acupuncturist, I offer an online course of study in practical earth-honoring skills, and my first book, Throwing Thunder, Awakening the Forces of Nature Within Every Woman, was released in 2021. Today, I am offering a greeting, an invitation, and an introduction to my intent for these explorations. There may be a little storytelling, too. By the end of it, I hope that some closeness grows between us, our separate root systems joining together in one celebrating, interwoven, mycelial throng. So let us begin with this single question. What happens when we rub on the body of the earth? How does it brush back against us? I want to know what happens when we scrape our bodies against stone, depositing old hymns and primeval astonishments into our backbones. What happens when we scuff our feet on dirt and all of the celestial minerals, the iron, magnesium, and calcium enters our souls, turning our blood into a mixture of loam and crooked stars? What happens when we stroke our hands against lichen, leaf, flower, and they emesh into our most fragile skin, our exposed flanks, the backs of our knees, our velvet eyelids? For there is a certain fidelity required when we return over and over again to be shaped, imagined even, by the beings, the weather, the landforms, and the elemental powers where we live. Let us seek intimacy across language, intimacy across culture, intimacy across species, intimacy across consciousness. For it is into the quantum froth of mystery we go, where not only is everything alive, but it is alive in us. I am willing to wager that you are feeling it too. The varying shades of wordless urgency, the peppery restlessness, the hover ache, an unreachable itch for something different, something more. A longing perhaps to wrap our arms around the world, to press our cheeks against rough skin, to merge within the sacred continuum with humility and reciprocity to know the truest sense of being at home. But here's the trouble. In the verbiage of raptor rehabilitators, us humans have become unreleasable. We are animals left in our cages too long. Our wings have become emaciated. 
we don't know how to find our own food anymore. We have forgotten that we yearn for the bosky zest of outside air. Even with the cage door wide open, we have become afraid to go out. The forest has become unfamiliar. The living language of wind and season and morning star has become a foreign tongue. Perhaps the work of becoming releasable begins with having simple conversations with the living beings around us, those that we have been trained to believe are dead. To start just speaking up and along the way, diversifying, expanding our sense of relational possibility, dipping and winding and circling us back around that non-linear way that quality heart exchanges do. My hope is that our wings will strengthen up through these conversations, through ritual and experimentation, through listening to many different kinds of love stories. Along the way, we may eat and drink and breathe the beauty that is everywhere around us. Let's hope that it eats and drinks us up in turn, swallowed whole, gulped down in glory. For we have gotten into a little bit of a habit of just getting by. Modern life force deficiencies abound. We expect so little of our lives these days. We lack aliveness in food and movement, rhythm and relationship. We have forgotten to pray to get to the throbbing heart of things. There is even a deadness to our dreaming. The vital innards of our stories are stagnant and depleted from Eurocentric, colonist, capitalistic insidiousness. We trace our fingers over quickening malignancies growing bigger by the day, overwhelmed by the way that they are so deeply embedded in our flesh, the way that they have grown and knitted within us, the way we participate in keeping them alive. But it is in this purposeful palpation that we get increasingly clear and skilled at identifying their edges, their bulk, their stink. May we dig and dig and dig some more, not into our minds, but into the rich black butter of our earth bodies, to be covered by oxytocin and earth tang, to get good with our ears to stop skipping over the surface of our lives and plunge into the dark chasm of our being, nourishing our labyrinthine guts and silty pelvic basins. Many people stay on the land where they grew up, but this has never been the case for me. Perhaps it is this foreignness in moving somewhere new that has actually compelled me to listen well, to take less for granted. It is an old tendency, this way we attempt to tether and know ourselves through place, land, tribe, so it seems as good a place to begin as any. I live in a small house nestled in the elbow of a wood. These woods belong to the southeast hip of a mountain. This mountain has had many names, but its current name is Philo, which is Greek for love. As far as I can dig up, no one really knows exactly where this name came from. Maybe one of the only peaks that hasn't been given a name of some passing white male conqueror. 
The indigenous Abenaki people who walked this land before me called this Rabbit Mountain, or Lookout Place, and it does give a numinous view of the bird migrations in a vast mother lake. I've only lived here for half a cycle. You could say that it is a fresh love affair. There have been other crushes. For the 17 years before this, I had a love affair with different trees, different weather, different land spirits. This time around, I was called by the very bones of the earths themselves. Rattling around like divination runes in a leather pouch, it is the stones, the rocks, the mountains that hold the charm and the deepest old womanly knowing of this place. This mountain that I live with is a clippa. I like that word. A clippa is an outlying, isolated remnant of an overthrust rock mass, a precious artifact of sorts. Over 500 million years ago, one immense plate of the Earth's crust collided with and thrust up another, creating an island in the sky. All of this time being shaped and informed by the winds and snow and sun, and there are lingering footprints of the ocean everywhere here. Ripple marks like those at the beach, resulting from currents moving sand grains back and forth, are visible throughout the Moncton quartzite. Mud cracks hint at ancient tidal deposits of a prehistoric Champlain Sea. 500 million years old. Any attempt at understanding this time frame immediately turns my mind into a swarm of butterflies. It is just lingering wing beats and ether, and I just feel immediately put in place. These old men and women of archaic earth, living on feldspar, chomping quartz between their teeth, appear to me like riddles. How do you have a conversation with stones? One eye slitted open. Perhaps they have been asleep too long already. Will they hear me? Humans have been visiting this place since their very beginnings, drawn to its murmuring boulders and far-reaching visions. We sense the power of these rocks. Otherwise, we would not pick them up and caress them so. We would not slip them into our pockets as talisman, all the while mumbling prayers for durability. But for all of the many humans who visit this place, how many stop to acknowledge its livingness? It is not just the birds who warble here, but the rocks mew and roar. The bulk of their bodies shift, erode, ache. Their bones are awkward with cold, but still find a way to cavort in contraction and expansion. I visit as often as I can. My heart muscle is awkward with new rhythms, new dialects. A solace from the relentlessness of winter I bring these deep dreamers, offerings of crushed flowers, holy basil for sweetness, dried lemon rind for hope. Wondering if they miss this, the ocean, I bring them offerings of tiny shells and dried seaside roses, precious beach glass from California and Oregon, large oyster shells tucked under cedar and hickory. Is it enough to track some Attract some stone mermaids, perhaps? 
The sky helps as well, loving on these old ones with the sounds and smells of a wild ocean. The clouds are deadly serious as they slide their rock bodies with relentless tides and come with the sounds of crashing breakers. Nothing can hide from the wind's endless caresses, the way it runs its tongue through every crack and crevice. Each gust is a wave, unsettling and stirring the sandy mountain bottom, scrubbing stiff pine trees and exposed rock skin. I too miss the sea. Rubbing the mountain is not an act of extraction, of gathering, or thoughtless taking. I bring my loneliness, my desires, my vulnerabilities here with a sense of honest availability, not a cloying neediness. This land is not my therapist. It is not part of my self-care process. It does not exist so that I can stockpile its calm into my nervous system. This is not my emotional support mountain. Let us continue to catch our tendency towards the constant commodification of nature, the ways we long to turn everything into a resource for us to consume. Relationship is not created through a one-sided, human-centric conversation. When I walk these pathways, run these rivers, I long for a roughened closeness, a brightness of adoration. Rubbing the mountain anoints me in belonging. These slow-moving peacemakers, these rocks and trees, these crackling teachers, they are my living family. I yearn to know them, the stories of their lives, lichen birthmarks along trunk spines, oak arms tirelessly extended toward the sky in prayer, pupils dilated wide in excitement of the wind. Each time I return, I practice seeing along the periphery, and sometimes, just sometimes, something previously unknown is revealed. Rubbing the mountain scrubs me clean, lightens me, it scours me alive. Impurities fall away, excesses are essentialized. What is left? Fault lines crack and raw bits are burnished, polished to full shine. My heart is a nest for all. I praise the many different ways of mattering, devoted to diversifying my sense of relational intimacy. Perhaps I am my most loving self here. I may return to my dominator's training, my, separate, my separatist thought and language a thousand times over, until it is finally purged from my system. I don't want to make assumptions about how this place wants to be loved, touched, or spoken to. I want to let someone else lead for a long while. Rubbing the mountain gives me an opportunity to run my fingers over the scars of another, the wounds that lay fresh in this landscape, the deforestation, a different kind of rubbing, the stripping away, the emptying out of this place by large toothed saws, sheep cattle jaws, hooves, taking every last shred of living. Sheep fever, it was called. We think it will grow back exactly the same, but there is always the unmeasurable collateral damage. 
forests return, but they are never the same. Covered up by green, now it is hard to know the true vitality of their secret worlds, the true cost of this taking. I come to witness those still lingering hurts and the way that they reflect long legacies of supremacy, colonialization, violence on people and places. Rubbing the mountain moves me out of my impatience, this fast, disruptive, loud energy I carry with me. The earth is an ancient being whose time frames are not understandable to our human minds. The earth holds primordial first-generation powers with layers of depth that are concealed from us. I find it psychologically therapeutic and spiritually broadening to at times crush myself in irrelevance. Here I feel into my purposeful not knowing, the way the mysteries of life do not want to be pinned down or to be revealed as they are reconfiguring me. Here I make ample space for the tricksters, the shunned, the invisible, the dark dwellers, the misunderstood within me and all around me. Rubbing the mountain clears my head, comforts me as this old world is dying. The greedy fools who rule this planet can't catch us when we're dancing. That may sound trite and entirely unrealistic, but how will we ever take action invested at the level of marrow and glacial skull and tooth root if we do not know how to love first. Let us find a deliberacy in our lives, rooting out our deep stories of separation and superiority. What might free up when we stop telling the living world what it is? Let us decentralize humans from the global story, creating disruption through joy and awe in relatedness. I don't know about you, but I want to use every last moment of my time on this earth communing, loving, praising, even while the fires burn all around us. I'm sure there are many more reasons for this rubbing of the mountain, but I promise they will come to me later in the forest, only to evaporate when I get home. All I know is that there is something very old in this for me. An ancient heart beats something that I have forgotten that wants to be remembered, something slippery, the way we search to grab hold of the thread of sleep at 3 a.m. I am following my way back into things I once knew in another time. Deep familiarities stir in my body. Some days I feel utterly frustrated to be lost in the mist-filled gap, trying to recall something old, reimagining something new, but always from the depths there is this tug, a warm calloused hand pulls me forward. What might lay beyond the endless quest for self-realization, self-empowerment, self-help, and the craze of individual success? By all means, let's continue to do our inner work, our self-healing, and know that ultimately all paths lead here, to the immediacy of recognizing our inherent interrelatedness. The living world yearns for your noticing eye, your guttural hum song, your invested embrace. Friends, this is an animist celebration with no set agenda other than to be connective and collaborative.
I want to know, how are you loving on the place where you live? So here comes the invitation. Share with us in spoken or written word your stories, anywhere from one to 20 minutes long, of anything that you can think of that smacks of earth-honoring revelry. This could be a ritual you do every morning, a thunderous insight you got after falling asleep in the crook of a tree. It could be a chat that you've had with the skunk cabbage as it's emerging from their early spring bog or prayers you offered to the dead baby fox as you moved him from the side of the road. It could be lessons you've learned from rain or from rivers or from your shower, or conversations that you've had with the dead living wood of your house. It could be the telling of old knowings in your body, where tree roots live in your feet, where rose quartz has settled in your heart, where dandelions grow from your eye sockets. It could be a sacred hymn, a fireside chat, a description of something completely mundane that reveals itself to you in a fresh way. It could be a story about your situated ecology, where you go to reflect, to commune, to remember what is holy in you, what is holy all around you. Perhaps a bit lost, let us unite to stroke the cracks in our knowing, the questions that want to emerge from the stomachs of earthquakes, the ones we have yet to find words for. It will only be from this place of not knowing that new ways of relating will be discovered. We are all actively choosing what we want to belong to. No longer defined by a culture of 4th of July parades and Black Friday shopping, let us be directly informed by the intuition of possum, the rules of beetle, the values of ocean. My hope is that there will be a great diversity of story, just like there is in the living world. My hope is that creative, strange ways of relating will arise spontaneously beyond the human-centric limitations of our current dreaming. My hope is that in sharing these experiences of embodied ecology, our reality shifts, our core truths sharpen, and space is made for a new, old, earth-honoring culture to re-emerge. If you feel called to join me, go to the podcast page of KendraWard.com and write or speak your heart's knowing. It can even be anonymous. This will be a gathering place of nourishing resource for all of us, and some of the stories will be actively woven into the podcast with the author's permission. In the spirit of change, sending you much love and gratitude. As a send-off on this quest, I wanted to leave you with an excerpt from The Worship of Place by Tom Hirons from his book Falconer's Joy. I fall over myself to find the best way to worship. I press my back against the trunk of a broad tree or a tower of cracked, stacked stones. I tell my confession to the twisted heather and bow down before the yellow-flowered gorse. I renew my vows in the presence of the damselfly and receive the blessing of the magpie and the wren. All the while, skylarks carry my prayers to heaven. 
At the altar of this great temple, there is a fountain, invisible to my eyes. If my worship is wholehearted, I am washed clean of sorrow, and all my restless thirst is quenched. Standing in this sublime sanctuary, I am cracked in two, and an old spring bubbles in my heart once again. The water is so clear and delicious, I cannot keep it to myself. Will you come with me to that fountain now and fill your cup of longing from this endless, untamed spring?' 